Welcome to Pullback. I'm Kyla Hewson, and I'm here with Kristen Pugh. hey Each episode, we challenge ourselves to try something new in ethical consumption, and then we tell you what we learned, fuck-ups and all. Hell yeah. Yeah, this episode is all about <laughs> periods, which, I don't know, did we intend to record this like three days after International Women's Day, or is that just a happy accident? Yeah, so <laughs> we had that special episode that we released last time, and I was like, we'll just move periods. I don't think it's there for a reason, but it was. It was Women's Day. That's why it was supposed to go out oh, <laughs> like yeah. three days ago. Well, that's fine. It doesn't really, honestly, it's not really a big deal because not everyone who menstruates is a woman. So I feel like we True. accidentally, yeah. <laughs> that also, out. feminism is every day, so, <laughs> you know. Kristen wanted me to lead this one and so i did a bunch of research but it is in no particular order i was thinking that we could talk about kyla i do have an order if you want us to do that oh, i'm just happy to take a back seat if you want it it's just up to you <laughs> no i i i have a lot written here i just have no flow ah <laughs> I was thinking that eventually in this episode, we are going to talk about different products, but also uh, the free bleed movement and uh, period poverty, which is where I spent most of my research time. Yep, that sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't we start by talking about um, period positivity and stuff like that, and then we'll talk about the like plastic free periods and the products at the end. I have a uh, little introductory blurb for anybody who doesn't know what a period is, if you'd like. What? (laughs) (laughs) I I think I got this from yourperiod.ca. Menstruation is the technical term for getting your period. About once a month, females or people who menstruate, I'm just adding that in for them, who have gone through puberty will experience menstrual bleeding. This happens because the lining of the uterus has prepared itself for a possible pregnancy by becoming thicker and richer in blood vessels. If pregnancy does not occur, this thickened lining is shed, accompanied by bleeding. Bleeding usually lasts for three to eight days. For most people who menstruate, it happens in a fairly regular, uh, predictable pattern. The length of time from the first day of one period to the first day of the next period normally ranges from 21 to 35 days. The end. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Now we have context for what we're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, I guess maybe before we get into the content of the episode, we should maybe say a word for people who don't menstruate and why they should listen to this episode. Oh, period positivity. Yes. Yeah. Education (laughs) is, oh my goodness, that's going to be like a huge thing that I talk about is like educating everybody is really, really important for combating period poverty and all of the like, oh, we're going to get into this, but a huge number of women and uh, girls and people who menstruate drop out of school worldwide because of the shame that comes with it and because of all the school that they miss every month. So it's like... Oh, if we can get past that and people, everybody is kind of like, okay, with this being a normal part of your body. Like, I don't excrete semen. I don't know if that's the, it's probably not the way you should say it, but like, but I know all about it. So (laughs) that's probably not a good comparison. (laughs) Maybe you have something more eloquent to say, Kristen. Uh, Not really. I think, um, I think what you said makes a lot of sense. If um, for the... Listeners that we have that don't menstruate, it is still important to learn about periods and ethical periods. I think, as Kyla mentioned, because there's a lot of stigma around it, 
But also just um, there are real ways in which the lack of knowledge that men have about periods um, and the squeamishness that they have around it a lot of the time can actually be real barriers for women and girls. Uh, there are about 11% of uh, girls in the UK reported in a stu study in Plan International that they were told not to talk to their fathers about their periods, and that can have real consequences, um, not least of which being like, um, you know, girls can sometimes deal with very painful periods, they can be very scared about it. Um, so I think getting through this stigma, not only for girls, but also for women and uh, any trans men that menstruate, it's also important because it is just a, it's a real part of how we live our lives for like, not quite a third of our existence, but something close to that. So it's like, it's about seven years of your life that you spend menstruating. I found that. <laughs> <laughs> so if you put all of the days that you menstruate together for your whole life, it's seven straight years. So fun. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so if we could make those years better for people, why not? And also for the planet. Yeah. Uh, I have a question for you, Kyla. Uh, do you have a first period story that you'd be willing to share? <laughs> if not, you can cut this. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. My first period, well, I had like pretty good education. My teachers were really good about letting us know that it was going to happen. My mom was pretty good about letting me know that it was going to happen. So when it first happened, I wasn't like astounded, which unfortunately is the case for a lot of people who menstruate. But I was 10. So I get an extra couple of years on most people. It's just a stressed <laughs> little child, I guess. <laughs> Started menstruating very young. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It was just, it was normal. I was like, oh, there, there's blood in my underwear. That's probably from my period. And then my mom was like, yep, here you go. Have a pad. And I was like, thanks, champ. And I was, That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it was very uneventful. What about you? My story is almost like the opposite of yours. I had my first period very late. So I was distinctly aware that I had not had one yet and everyone else around me did. I was 15 when I had my first period. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was super late. Um, <laughs> I tried to convince my mom to take me to the doctor about it, actually. And she's like, no, you're fine. Like, <laughs> it'll happen. Um, <laughs> enjoy not having all of this anxiety that other people around you have to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. When it did eventually happen, though, it was the night before I had my first swim meet on the swim team. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I had to figure out tampons right away wow <laughs> damn so that was an experience but it was all fine <laughs> that's a lot like i i had to work my way up to tampons for sure you know yeah it was a bit of a stressful moment because like it was like the evening before and i was panicking and my mom basically shoved a tampon in my hand and I was like, how do you use this? And she was like, it's like having sex and like pushed me into a bathroom. <laughs> You're like, and I, I don't like, know what that I've is. I've never had sex. This is not <laughs> useful. Like, <laughs> I was like, how many holes are down there? Which, how do I know if I put it in the wrong one? <laughs> I know that advice will always stick out in my head because at the time I was like, this is the least helpful thing you could say to a person in this situation. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, huge shout out to my dad. Speaking of 
like kids not being able to talk to their parents. I had very painful periods from the beginning. So I had five years on Kristen where I was just like, I would miss school because of my really painful periods. Uh, I remember a few times where my my cramps were so bad that I would just like vomit. It, it was real gross. But my dad was always really good about it. He he would like go out and get me my my pads and he'd get me painkillers. And if my brother made fun of me, my dad would shame him for it. It was great. <laughs> Yeah, it's super interesting. I think every every um, person that menstruates has their like first experience, and I think probably a lot of them are some approximation of the two of ours. You know, <laughs> it's a little scary. <laughs> it's messy. <laughs> no, I was reading. Um, there's this report that Plan International did in the United Kingdom that I'll probably reference a few times in this podcast and. Basically, they, they did a combination of like, they, they surveyed a bunch of girls in the UK about their experience with um, periods. And then they also had like focus groups where they had in-depth conversations about it. And I really felt like I was being brought back into the trauma of the first few times I had my period reading these experiences. Like <laughs> people who like their, their pads or tampons were leaking and uh, their teacher wouldn't let them go to the bathroom or like would ask why they'd gone to the bathroom Ugh. twice and they have to like disclose to the entire class that they're on their period and it's like a mortifying experience for them like that <laughs> I don't know brought me very much back to the fears of of being you know in the first few years of having my period and even like sometimes uh, more recently you know you always have those days where like the period sneaks up on you or something <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Or you're just like, uh, is my product on or incorrectly? Am I leaking? That's that that fear. I don't know about anyone else, but it never actually goes away. <laughs> no, it's very true. I mean, at least I don't know if you did if you used tampons for the remainder of your menstruating experience. But when you're using pads as a young lady as well, there's like a smell that accompanies it. So you're like, oh, God, can everybody smell me? Am I leaking? Can they, And like dogs like beeline it to your crotch during your period. <laughs> <You're> like, God damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, you do that awkward twist when you stand up every time to like... You're trying to discreetly check to see if you're leaking, but there's no discreet way to like bend over backwards to look at your own asshole. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like uh, wearing dark pants. Here's hoping that deals with it. <laughs> well, now that we've lost 90% of our listeners. Uh... <laughs> okay, so let's talk a little bit about period poverty, which is an issue that I was pretty blessed. I didn't really realize it was a problem until I was quite a bit older. And it became clear from other people's experience that not everybody has access to sanitary products for when they're menstruating, which, I mean, even when you have a sanitary product, menstruating is stressful when you're, especially when you're young. So to be going through that and not having the education, like a lot of people are not taught about it, especially in cultures where uh, it's treated very taboo. Uh, or like in very, very patriarchal cultures, you have men who are in charge of the finances and they won't give money for products that they consider to be extravagant. I think in the United States, period products are considered like a uh, a luxury good. So if you're on welfare stamps or something, they're a, they're a luxury good and you don't get them. And it's like, what the, are you kidding me? Like, is toilet paper a luxury good? I don't think so. So, ah. <laughs> 
so in a lot of cases, uh, women or people who menstruate are forced to use cheap rags that they can reuse and, and wash, but then they're, you know, they're left to hang up in public spaces in a lot of cases, and there's a lot of shame tied to that. Uh, or in like really extreme cases, they've been known to use soil, mud, ash, and sawdust to try and stop that all from, it's just awful. So I was reading some really stressful stories, and a lot of it is like education and treating it like it's a health thing, which it is. And it's not so. just um it's not just in countries where there's a lot of poverty. It's also like countries like Canada, the US, the UK, there is a lot of period poverty. Uh that Plan International study that I'm gonna cite this entire episode found that about ten percent of girls have been unable to afford period products. And twelve percent have had to improvise due to affordability issues. And like as you were mentioning, like some of the stuff, I mean, sometimes it's rags. There was one case that um, one of the contributors said she had, like, taped a sock to her underwear. Like, it's really, like, not <laughs> like not a great situation when you have um, a part of your body that can really easily, like, accumulate infections. <laughs> like, you really want to be able to have sanitary products that are not going to give you, like, Toxic shock syndrome or other kinds of um, illnesses, yeast, yeast infections, infections <laughs> UTIs. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, that's and that's a really good point. I I was reading that uh, in the UK, one in ten and closer to one in seven in London, uh, people who menstruate between the ages of fourteen and twenty one have been unable to afford period products when they need them, and that's that's the case in the United States as well, where I think, he, I don't know if you just said the same thing as me. I was listening, but then I I also just woke up from a nap. But like uh, nearly one in five people who menstruate uh, who are young report having missed school for lack of adequate period products. Yeah, that's the other thing around period poverty that not only is it um, a health risk and also just, you know, unpleasant and um, traumatic for people, but also it's a real source of unfreedom and can contribute a lot to holding women back from employment prospects, income, uh, and also like if you're if you're missing two to three days of school every month because of period poverty, like though there are real learning losses that happen due to that. So I actually found a really good article from bloodandmilk.com, which is kind of a cool name for a website, that had really good sources and they phrased it really well. So I'm just gonna read straight from that. When girls are forced to drop out of school because they do not have what they need to manage their periods, menstruation also becomes an economic issue as well as social and political. To understand why a paradigm shift is necessary, it's first imperative to understand the shame and stigma that have long accompanied menstruation. Let's start with the Bible, the most read book in the world. Oh According God. to Leviticus <laughs> book 15, I know, do you love that I'm always quoting the Bible? It's like my thing now. <laughs> Okay, that's not my fault. This is in the article, and it's really well written, so <laughs> I'm going to push through. According to Leviticus, book 15, whenever a woman has her menstrual period, she will be ceremonial, ceremonially unclean for seven days. Anyone who touches her during this time will be unclean until evening. Anything on which the woman lies or sits during that time of her period will be unclean. 
We see examples of this uncleanliness resonating throughout history. In some communities, even today, menstruating women aren't allowed to touch meat, they eat and drink from a different set of dishes, and are even banished from their houses to menstruation huts. Actually, I'm going to keep reading from this article, but I want to make a pause here to talk about menstruation huts because I fell down a rabbit hole there. Can I also just say, um, it really feels like this Leviticus passage is like, the origin of the concept of cooties. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But tell me about period huts. <laughs> oh, man. So do you remember there was pretty big news back in, I think it was 2018, because uh, it made international news that a woman in Nepal had died from being in one of these huts. She had been burning a fire to keep warm and she had the door closed and she died from smoke inhalation. And that's not an uncommon story. This is mostly from what I could find happening in Nepal, but I think it's probably happening in a couple of other places. This is just like where those stories were all coming from. It's actually like illegal in Nepal to send women to menstruation huts now, but in rural areas, it's still very uh, commonly practiced. So basically, people dig or build under their houses little rooms that are the size of closets that are covered in dirt or fur or straw, and women have to stay in there for the duration, or people who menstruate have to stay in there for the duration of their period, which can be up to seven days, and they're, they're like their family slides them food and nobody can touch them, and people legitimately think that if you touch a woman who's menstruating, you will lose your vision or something terrible will happen. And people die. It's not uncommon for people to die in these in these huts. Uh, there was a case where somebody was bitten by a poisonous snake. There's been cases where people are trying to burn fire to keep warm because it's freezing in these things. And then they'll they'll die from smoke inhalation. So, you know, apart from that, though, living in a dirt hut for seven days that's the size of a closet that you have to bend over to get into is not a pleasant experience. One young lady was like, I have to go outside to check my Facebook because there's no, like, reception in the hut. And I was like, <laughs> what a thing. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's super strange. I mean, yeah, it's it's hard not to be angry at these kinds of things, but... That's why education is so important. That's why it's important that non-menstruators also are, understand a lot of the taboo around around menstruating is like stuff that's not true. I'm pretty sure nobody who's ever touched me on my period has gone blind. There's been a real movement recently around talking about periods more and talking about them in ways that are less stigmatizing. Part of the reason for that is to um to sort of deal with um, the problems that arise when um, girls feel like they have to keep their periods a secret and conceal it and feel shame. Part of it is also just like, this is a, a normal body process and, um, you know, deal, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and just to finish off then that that article that I was mm, reading from, because uh, it has a little bit more context. No, not at all. Because uh, I, I think that I think some of these topics are going to come up in a second. So the statistics on the proportion of people who menstruate who stay home well on their period vary from 20% in studies from Ghana, Ethiopia, and Sierra Leone to roughly 30% in Nepal, South Africa, and Afghanistan, 40% in Senegal, and 50% in Kenya. The report goes on that in parts of India, the number rises as high as 70%. 
Fear of leakage, the smell, shame in general, they have nowhere to change menstrual protection or to wash themselves, nowhere to throw away used menstrual product products. You know, if you had to go to school and you knew that you would you would be bleeding through your makeshift rag and you have nowhere to clean yourself or to use fresh water or to dispose of any products that you might even be using that are disposable, why would you go to school? Especially when there's so much shame attached to it. That was my that was my little side there. I'm gonna keep reading. Sorry. I'm gonna keep reading from the article. We're almost through. According to a report by the World Bank, a woman's future earnings grow with every extra year of primary education. When a girl receives an education, she marries later, has fewer, healthier children, and is less likely to experience sexual violence. According to The Guardian, with every 1% increase in the proportion of women with secondary education, a country's annual per capita income grows by 0.3%. Closing the unemployment gap between adolescent girls and boys would result in an uh, up to 1.2% increase in GDP in a year. And these numbers don't necessarily take into account the emotional, social, and political benefits of increasing opportunities for women. So yeah, gross, periods, ew. But also people who care about economics, it makes a difference. <laughs> if everybody in your, if you're, if everyone in your country is educated and contributing to to society, you know, 30 days out of a month, which women can do and people who menstruate can do, it's better for your country. You make more money. I don't know. <laughs> like, it's just numbers. Yeah. Period positivity, better for capitalism. Uh-oh. <laughs> I mean, if that's what it takes to sell it, I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's been a lot of talk around period positivity lately and one of the ways in which it's been expressed is the free bleeding movement. Uh, can we talk about that? Or do you have more on period positivity first? Oh, I mean, I could complain about, well, I could complain about period poverty in general for forever. Like, <laughs> uh, I have another quote here from a young person. We don't go to our locker for toilet paper, and it should be the same for menstrual products. So this is like from a group who wants there to be free menstrual products, in gender-neutral male and female washrooms because people who menstruate don't necessarily always all go into the female washroom. So it's like, yeah, I agree. I'm going to share a lot of really cool links about people who are doing good work. But yes, we can absolutely talk about free bleed. I don't know a lot about it. So I hope you did some research on that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a huge thing because um, free bleeding is basically the idea that like, fuck it, menstruating is a... Uh, an ordinary process that's natural for the body, so let it flow, which obviously <laughs> you ruin a lot of sheets that way, I would imagine. Uh, <laughs> but uh, people might remember there was a very famous story from 2015 where a runner named Kiran Gandhi, um, she ran a marathon on her period without a tampon. And uh, it, be it became big news as like a political statement at the time, though it was kind of interesting. I was reading through a story about it where a journalist interviewed her and she actually didn't seem like she was really trying to make that much of a political statement. I I'm sure that that was part of it, but it was mostly just that she was afraid um, because any little bit of chafing when you're running a marathon can like, you know, people's nipples bleed and stuff. Uh, so she was worried about that with a tampon. Which I'm not sure was a like legitimate worry. I don't know that that would happen, but it wasn't like she was trying to make some big statement that she was just she was like I've been training for months, my fucking period's coming, I'm running this thing anyway. But it's it still it became a big sort of story about um, women's freedom and like 
the need to destigmatize periods. And it's not the only instance where there are like free bleeders. There, the free bleeding movement is a movement that people participate in, and it's basically a reaction to social shame. Most free bleeders also point out the unsustainability of disposable period products, which we'll talk about later. But like the primary motivation is it's a form of protest to destigmatize menstruation. Um, as well, some people say that free bleeding feels better. As a form of protest, I think it's cool. I also think it's deeply impractical, um, except <laughs> now there's period underwear. So like, that, I don't know, like, does that count as free bleeding? Kind of feels like free bleeding. <laughs> I, <laughs> well, we'll get into that a little bit later, because I think both of us did that for our challenge. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't know if I'm ready for a free bleed. Before we move on to the environment, I do have two more things that I want to say. And one is that COVID-19 has really affected how people gain access to period products because in a lot of cases, people who menstruate were getting their, their period products from their schools. And now that schools have been closed in a lot of places for a long time. And again, because in a lot of places, men still control the money that goes in and out of the house they're having a lot of trouble um, gaining access to these products. So it's it's an, just another way that coronavirus sucks. And I just wanted to shout that out. And I, yeah, it sucks real bad because people have to prioritize food and other essentials over menstrual hygiene when money's tight and you have nowhere where you would normally get them. And then the, <laughs> the other thing I wanted to bring up, uh, I wanted to get your opinion on something, Kristen. It's a bit of a controversial topic. Maybe you saw it in, when you were doing your reading. Some countries, mainly in Asia, have menstrual leave to provide women with either paid or unpaid leave of absence from their employment while they are menstruating. How do you feel about that? I don't know. I think you can just have a general sick days category. And because um, there are some people who menstruate and like you were mentioning, you're one of these people for whom it's very painful. And uh, like in that case, people may genuinely need to take off the time. In a lot of cases, though, if it's just sort of a product of existing stigma and sexism, that's the problem we should deal with, you know? So nice. <laughs> Nicely said. Can I'll just read you the rest of this quote here. The practice is controversial due to concerns that it bolsters the perception of women as weak, inefficient workers, as well as concerns that it is unfair to men and that it furthers gender stereotypes and the medicalization of menstruation. So I love your answer. It was bang <laughs> on with what I kind of came up with uh, based on the reading that I did. I was like, oh, I like that idea in theory, but maybe everyone should just have more sick time that they can use. Yeah, have more sick days and like more incentives to use them. Yeah. And I would just like to say uh, my periods are not nearly as painful as they used to be once upon a time. So if any young person is listening and you have terrible, terrible cramps, sometimes it does get better. <laughs> I'm happy for you. That's great. <laughs> yep. Okay, cool. Let's talk about the environment. <laughs> so now that we've talked about why everyone should have access to sanitary products, let's talk about <laughs> why they're all so terrible. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should skip from, uh, you know, people not being able to access any period products straight to people being able to access reusables. But there's probably going to be a big middle period where there are people are getting a lot of free plastic tampons and applicators and 
And honestly, that's that's fine because I would rather somebody be able to afford something safe. <laughs> yeah, and like be able to go to school and finish their education and not have yeast infections or sawdust in their underwear, you know? Yeah, yeah. Nope. No, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so um, we were talking a while ago about the stats on periods, but I've got a few more that I want to say. So women have approximately 500 periods over the course of their lifetime. And uh, assuming like an individual that uses disposable menstrual products, that means using more than 11,000 disposable menstrual products over the course of those 500 periods. And that works out to about 250 to 300 a year. So you can imagine like whether you're using pads or tampons, um, and if there are plastic applicators for the tampons, you have to count that waste in too. The wrappers, they're usually made of plastic as well. Almost none of that is recyclable. Yeah, even if they're recyclable or some of uh, I saw some tampon applicators that were marketed as bioplastics and go to our plastics crisis episode for why that's actually not a solution. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so there's a huge amount of menstrual products going into the landfill every year. It's approximately 20 billion products a year around the world. That's a lot. And uh, like... Most products that you're getting, if they're menstrual pads, they're about 90% plastic. If they're tampons, the tampons themselves may not be plastic, but the applicators usually are, and they're wrapped in plastic. So that's a lot of plastic waste. Another environmental problem as well is the impact of flushing tampons and pads. Yes. It cause huge sewage blockages. <laughs> and that sewage debris oftentimes will also end up in the oceans and on beaches. So... About 9% of litter on beaches is just sewage debris. So, you know, that could be toilet paper too. It's not just menstrual products, but it's a huge proportion of the, like, the waste that we have on beaches. Well, and that's a problem too, because like, as you mentioned earlier, blood is a breeding ground for bacteria. And also people who have to clean up these sewage backups, even if it doesn't make it all the way to the ocean or a beach, people are going in to clean up these sewage backups and a lot of the time, depending on where they are, they don't have proper PPE. And blood is a huge danger for like HIV and like, I think hepatitis. So it's just like, it's a biohazard, you know, as well as being gross. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Um, And yeah, a lot of it will end up on the beach in sort of the same ways. So it may not necessarily be stuff that's flushed. Sometimes um, menstrual products that end up on the beach are from sewage, but sometimes they're also just from landfill because landfills leach into the oceans, as we have talked about before. There's an environmental group called the Marine Conservation Society that when they do beach cleanups, they do trash audits. And they have found that per every 100 meters of beach in the UK, there's an average 4.8 pieces of menstrual waste. So every 100 meters they go, there's like five tampons and pads or their packaging. So it is a huge source of waste. Maybe not as many, (laughs) maybe not as much waste as like coffee cups, but it is a substantial source of plastics waste and, uh, you know, when it comes to like tampon applicators, like you use a tampon applicator for what, a second? And yeah. like then it's it's not going to break down in the environment for 500 to 1,000 years. So I actually I actually have a really interesting um, – I, I wrote down the history of plastics in 
uh, menstrual products. If you, uh, well, I just, I'm quoting from National Geographic. If you'd like to hear about it, it's kind of interesting. Sure. In 1921, the first pack of Kotex crossed a drugstore counter. Thus began a new era, that of the disposable menstrual product. <laughs> Kotex were made with <laughs> cellucotton, a hyperabsorbent plant-based material that had been developed during World War I for use as medical bandaging. Nurses started to repurpose the material for menstrual pads, and the practice stuck. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. And then uh, it goes on to say... The appeal and ubiquity of disposables grew as more women entered the workforce. The products offered both convenience, they were readily available in many drugstores, and discretion. Women wouldn't have to worry about bringing used cloths from work to home. It also allowed menstruators to pass, hiding their bodily functions from those around them, letting work continue uninterrupted. In 2013, the discrete packaging project uh, projects hit their heights when Kotex introduced a tampon with a softer, quieter wrapper to help keep it secret, designed for silent unwrapping. And disposal, there are plastics to help with that part of the process too. In some public restrooms, little packets of uh, scented plastic baggies sit on the bathroom stall walls, ready to enclose and disguise used sanitary products on their short path from the stall to the trash bin. We're still selling shame along with the menstrual products. So there you go. That's the history of, uh, <laughs> briefly, plastics in yep. menstruation. <laughs> There's so much about that I hate. <laughs> I guess good for 1950s women. It was tough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good on you for getting out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that is really interesting, though. Thank you for sharing Sorry that. to interrupt your flow for that. I just, uh, ah, flow. Sorry. Okay. Ah, <laughs> air guns. <laughs> oh, carry on. <laughs> yeah, so I thought what we could do next is just go through, like, let's say you do want to go plastic-free for your period. First of all, I want to talk about why you should do that, and then we'll maybe go through what the options are. So why plastic-free? Um, obviously, we've talked about the environmental benefits, but there's another huge reason to go plastic-free with your period. Cost? Is it cost? It's cost, <laughs> yeah. Over your lifetime, you can reduce your spending on period products by 94% if you switch from disposables to reusables. I can vouch that it's true. A Diva Cup, like, we'll talk about some of the costs um, as we're going through each of the sections, but, like, a menstrual cup? Like it pays for itself with, within two months of like if you're you're using tampons and you no longer need to buy those. One menstrual cup in two months, you've already paid for it. Like it's an amazingly good investment. <laughs> yeah, well, especially since menstrual cups will last up to 10 years or longer if nothing happens. Like, I don't know if 10 years goes by and my cup's not broken, I'll probably just keep using it. There's no harm to it. Yeah, exactly. And they're meant to like last a pretty long time. They're usually made from medical grade um, silicone. so. That stuff goes in ovens, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, so one option if you're looking to go plastic-free, I don't think this is a great option, but it is an option. So conventional tampons, bad, but you can get plastic-free tampons. Conventional tampons are typically made from rayon, uh, polypropylene, and polyethylene. So, you know, <laughs> some plastic products in there. But you can buy plastic-free cotton alternatives. Those are kind of touted as good from a health perspective because cotton, especially if it's like organic cotton, can be healthy. But uh, on the other hand, like you're still ultimately producing a disposable. 
Cotton, as we talked about, takes like quite a lot of land and water to grow. There are some human rights issues around it. And ultimately, if you're throwing something out after using it for three hours, like it's not awesome. <laughs> it's not a great solution. Yeah. And I think it's our it was our clothing episode where we talked about how the cotton industry affects yeah. the planet, yeah, right? Yeah, definitely. I think it was part two. So that is a ride, though. <laughs> Warning to anyone who wants to go back and listen to the clothing, I think, three-parter. It was a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think in the middle of recording that episode, um, we had to pause uh, for me to eat chocolate as though I had been through some kind of like traumatic experience. <laughs> <laughs> I cried. That's the only episode I ever like actually cried in. So yeah. we've talked about some sad stuff. Oh, I have a question for you before you move on to the next item. Are you going to talk about sea sponges? Uh, yeah, don't put it in your snatch. They're bad for you. Uh, <laughs> that's, all, that's all I had to say about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't put a, sne- a sea sponge inside you. Bad. Uh, <laughs> but no, back to um, to like plastic-free tampons. Um, so yes, you can use them. They're not ideal, um, especially a lot of them will still have plastic applicators, which even if they're bioplastics, is still bad for the environment. One thing that I thought was interesting, because I had no idea there was a demand for this, but you can apparently buy silicon tampon applicators. So like, you know how you have the plastic ones that you shoot up into your like hoo-ha, <laughs> into the vajay? Uh, <laughs> you can get silicon reusable versions of that, which I just don't understand. Um, maybe it's because I've been now using a Diva cup for a while, but like, can you not just use your hand? Like, <laughs> I I mean, I, yes, I think I think uh, the applicators might be good for people who are a little bit more squeamish or who come from like a really, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Repressed background, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, that was what, part of the history that I was reading. I didn't obviously read you the whole article, but part of the history I was reading was the applicators were invented, I'm pretty sure, by men who didn't like the idea of women coming in contact with their own genitals. So, Oh, so it's like a radical act of feminism every time I put my diva cup in then. It is, absolutely, 100%. Well, I'm going to think about it that way from now on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know we're going to talk about our, our menstrual cups, but I always feel so metal holding a chalice of my own blood. <laughs> <laughs> I, I once watched a YouTube video of somebody who baked brownies with her menstrual blood and ate them on video. And I was like, whoa, that is so hardcore. I'm no, I'm not ready for that, but I love that she did it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how to feel about that fact. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I could share that video, but I watched it so many years ago that I couldn't tell you who it was. <laughs> At me if you know. <laughs> that actually is a really good segue because the next thing we were going to talk about is menstrual cups. Um, I'll just explain briefly for people who may not know what they are, what they are. A menstrual cup is either a bell-shaped cup, um, or in some cases, they can be sort of flatter, more like... A disc? I don't know. I don't think disc really describes it, though. They're flatter, but they still are somewhat rounded. Um, and they're they're basically like cups. They're usually made of silicon. Sometimes they'll be made of um, like a type of plastic. Um, and you basically, you insert them into the vaginal canal, and they sit there and collect menstrual blood. So they work basically the same way as a tampon, except... Instead of like a tampon will absorb the blood and then you need to get rid of it because it's fully absorbed the blood. A menstrual cup just sort of collects your winnings and then you can feel metal <laughs> as you as you dump them out. <laughs> 
The other really good thing about them is that you can actually leave them in for longer than you would a tampon because they are less likely to, you know, be hosts for infections. So you can leave a menstrual cup in for up to 12 hours. Don't do it longer than 12 hours, but like you can go pretty much your whole day um, with a menstrual cup in without having to worry about changing it. I think I read that there has been like one known case of toxic shock syndrome related to menstrual cups, and it's because the person forgot their cup in for a week. So, yeah, and there are cases apparently like you can get infections, but it's usually not from the cup itself. It's usually because people don't wash their hands first. So, oopsie. As long as you always wash your hands before you insert them, it'll be fine. It's going to be great. I have a question. Uh, so, yeah, and as I was. Oh, no, actually, Sorry, as I was finish- mentioning before. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell we haven't recorded like a solo episode for a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is also one where we're both like excited to talk instead of me just like listening to you, like give me facts. I'm like, I can talk about periods. I know all about them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, tell me your thing because uh, I-, I can wait on mine. Oh, I was going to ask if you've ever had like a- just a disastrous spill from your menstrual cup because I have. No, I think I've had like minor leaks from it, um, mostly because like sometimes it doesn't suction properly. So usually like within the first two minutes, I'll be like, nope, that didn't go in right. I'm going to go back to the bathroom. (laughs) But no, I never had an actual like catastrophic spill. That sounds terrifying. (laughs) What happened to you? (laughs) No, just like, you know, when you're taking it out and like, I I don't know, I wasn't twice. I haven't been gripping it right. And it just, I just drop it on its way out. And it's just like, I'm like, wow, it looks like I murdered somebody in my bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) It can be kind of tricky when you have to take it out and you're in a bathroom that like does not have, either the stall is really far away from the sink, so you can't do it that way. Or like, it's just generally a gross situation. And you're like, I want to touch as few surfaces as possible. But <laughs> I know that our episode is already way too long considering like how light we are on content. But can I actually tell you the story of the worst ever time I had to remove my menstrual cup? Absolutely, you can. <laughs> I was running late for a train in China. I was catching and it was a long train. It was like the, it was about to be the longest train I'd ever been on. It was like a 26 or maybe even like a 30 hour train ride. And my period started as I was running to the train station and I was late. I get to the train station and I can feel that just like my underwear is a mess. <laughs> so I go into this bathroom and it's this tiny public, it's like this public washroom. So you, you go into a stall and it's a squatty potty area. So I'm like balancing with my feet on both sides of the toilet <laughs> and I have to pull my shoes off and I'm just like standing in tiptoes inside my shoes while I like balance to take my pants and underwear off in this tiny stall. My backpack is like in the corner on the floor taking up the only free space that isn't toilet and and I'm like digging around in there for clean underwear and I didn't know where I'd put it and I'm trying to find my menstrual cup and the whole time I'm like, I have five minutes to catch this train and then I have to like <laughs> book another one. So I'm like, yeah, balancing was, it was a whole thing. I got it in and uh, I, oh yeah. And then also you're supposed to like, it's like easier to put it in if it's wet, but there's obviously like no sink in a tiny bathroom stall. So I'm like balancing on my toes with my legs spread apart, like (laughs) naked from the waist down, like holding a water bottle in one hand, trying to like, like rinse my menstrual cup. But then I didn't have to, I only had to change my cup once on the train, which also was not fun. But yeah, that was, that was my, that was the, mm -hmm, that was the, that's my story. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, man. That, that sounds like a lot. My goodness. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to put people off of menstrual cups, though. I would never... I My only regret is that I wish I had gotten into them sooner. It's like a big learning curve, though. Like, the first time I ever... The first two or three times I ever put it in, it was like a whole thing. I was like, ah, am I going to lose it? I had to literally, as a grown-ass woman, I had to Google, like, can you lose your cup inside your junk? Because I was like, I can't feel it. Where'd it go? Because you're so used to, like, the, the string of the tampon. And the answer is no. Your cervix will stop it. It does not go into your intestines and disappear into your belly. <laughs> yeah. Don't put your diva cup up your butt and you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um no i'm i'm totally i've had a very positive experience as well um it reminds me of because like i think the stigma and um is like the biggest thing that prevented me from using it for the longest time uh i remember one of my like closest friends telling me a story of her sister buying her a diva cup for christmas and she was like this is the weirdest gift i've ever received this menstrual cup is a christmas <laughs> gift and at the time, I was like, yeah, that's so weird. But now, like, <laughs> I'm totally down. <laughs> I think that was a great Christmas gift. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so thoughtful. I would buy one for everybody <laughs> if I knew they weren't using them. I think everybody should be using them. They're incredible. And ignore the several stories I told that were not <laughs> flattering to the menstrual cups. Those were on me, not the cups. <laughs> yeah. There's, like, a, a little bit of a learning curve around um, cleaning your menstrual cup. You have to... Um, you have to boil it the first time, and then after that, you boil it um, at the end of your period each time. I also like to boil it at the beginning, um, but that's just me. You don't need to. As long as you boil it at the end, it's fine. Um, and then they kind of just recommend that you um, you wash it with um, a soap that like is not going to be like a soap that's not scented and not antibacterial um, because you don't want anything that's going to irritate your your snatch, you know. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> you know, just, just clean it with soap. Um, I usually do that like once a day and otherwise you're, you're really good to go. It's pretty simple to, to keep in. Another thing to keep note of, um, is that there are different menstrual cup sizes, depending on the company, there's either two to two or three sizes. So if you're men you find that your menstrual cup is leaking, that might mean that you need a bigger size. And generally people who have had children or who are, um, like above the age of 30 will need to size up on their menstrual cup at some point. Uh, so that can be an indication. And also if um, you are younger and you're looking at getting a menstrual cup, but you're looking at pictures online and you're like, whoa, this looks gigantic. There are also <laughs> sizes for teens. So get, get one specifically <laughs> for your age group and you'll be okay. <laughs> There's also a recommendation if you're really squeamish about it to um, put the menstrual cup in in the shower the first time. That way you don't have to worry about all the blood. And also, as Kyla mentioned, the water helps a little bit. So, Yeah. And also, if you feel like you're struggling at first, you got to give it a couple periods, honestly. I know everyone says that and you're like, why? But it's awful. You, ha you just have to give it a couple because it's weird at first. It really is. I, I had like leg pains from like squatting trying I was like I can't figure out if this is open or not like I don't if you're not sure if it's open or not walk around for a bit and you'll find out very quickly <laughs> yeah it's true I don't know I didn't feel like I had that much of a learning curve but I guess that's not surprising given my period origin story <laughs> <laughs> 
I struggled a lot, but I was like, <laughs> I spent money on this and I want to be better for the environment and everyone says they're amazing. So I pushed through and I am so glad I did. Yeah. Okay. So let's say you're not about that tampon life. And so you can't see yourself using a menstrual cup. What are some solutions for you? So first, conventional pads are bad. They are made from non-biodegradable petroleum-based polyacrylate, and um, they're made from polymer gels, and then they are further lined with more plastic. So they're plastic, plastic, <laughs> plastic. And then after that, they are packaged in more plastic. So they're not a great solution for the environment. The like good news is that you can get a whole bunch of different solutions for it. So one option is reusable pads and panty liners. So we'll talk a little bit about period underwear because that is what I tried for this challenge. But prior to that, I had used um, cotton uh, reusable panty liners. And personally, I find that they're good. They are a little bit bulky, but that may just have been how I felt given that I was used to tampons and menstrual cups. So I was not used to wearing a pad. I think they would feel, if anything, a little bit less inhibiting than a like a plastic pad, you know, because you've got something that's a, a soft fabric on you instead of <laughs> plastic. I don't know. That's, that's <laughs> weird for me. Uh, <laughs> have you ever used uh, reusable pads? Like the ones that you like attach to your underwear with like a snap? No. And I'm, I was really excited to do this episode because that was going to be my challenge was to go get them because I've been thinking about getting them for a while because I usually just use my menstrual cup right until the end. But it also means that for the last like two days where you have really light flow, you're always like, oh, do I need my cup anymore? And you leave it out for a bit and you're like, yeah, I do. Yeah, you play so cup roulette and you find out, yep, yeah, okay, there goes that pair of underwear. Yeah. <laughs> cup roulette. Ab that is, yep, that's exactly what you do. So I was, I've been kind of like, <laughs> eager to get some panty liners because like if you're really stressed out sometimes you have stress periods that go for months as you know as well I know like, you're like am uh. I dying <laughs> why is this period three weeks long um no I'm just a stressed person that's that's all there is to it so I as my challenge decided to get a period panty because I was like oh I way too much information, but I mostly just wear thongs. And I was like, if I'm going to get a, a panty liner, I'll probably want to get like a bigger panty to go with it. I was like, well, if I'm going to do that, I might as well just get a two in one. And I <laughs> did. And so this was my first time like free bleeding, quote unquote, depending on how you count it in a really <laughs> I long think time. it counts. <laughs> Great. Then that was my first time like free bleeding on purpose in like uh, since I was a kid because I've used tampons and then my menstrual cup. So it was weird. It was weird. I didn't know how I feel about it. Going to give it a couple periods, but I am glad that I got them. I Yeah, they're, they're weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I don't know, because I, because I had already used um, reusable panty liners and uh, menstrual cup, I thought period underwear is the only thing I haven't tried, so I'll try some. And I agree with you. It is a little bit weird when you're just wearing them. I think in the future, what I would want to do is probably pair it with a diva cup except for my very light days i think just like the mind the mind block around like feeling mm, there's blood in my underwear no need to panic though it's fine <laughs> it's magic underwear It'll be okay <laughs> well and also like whenever you whenever you go to the bathroom and you're like used to changing your sanitary product but you're like oh i'm just gonna put this damp underwear back on you know unless you have a ton of it to replace every time yeah what brand did you get because i found that mine like actually felt pretty dry except on my very heavy day the way my period usually goes is it's like light 
super heavy, light, light, light. Um, so <laughs> that one day was a challenge, but every other day was okay. I got NYX. I don't know if that's what you also got. It is, yeah. Yeah, no, I had didn't, no complaints about NYX. I think they're fine. I think that for me, it's just like a mental thing just to be like, oh, gonna put this underwear back on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I liked them a lot. Um, I think, uh, I mean, the one downside is you do need to do laundry a little more if you're relying on the period underwear. It's the same with reusable pads, but, um, you know, say la vie. In terms of like how the products were though, like I found um, they dried pretty quickly. I never felt like gross or itchy or anything. They didn't seem to smell all that much. So I was a, I was a fan. Yeah. And it's not just NYX. There are a bunch of other brands that make it too. I'll mention a couple more. So NYX is a Toronto based company. There's also a Vancouver based company that you could try. Um, They're called Isle. And then the other two I came across, although I'm sure there are more, are Wuka and Thinks. So those are all options. I mean, none of them seem to be all that that good for, like, if you're looking at other aspects of the company, the good on you rating for, so Nix and Thinks were the only two that were in the good on you system. And they both were rated as not good enough because they don't really have, beyond like the obvious case that reusable period underwear is better than its disposable alternatives. They they don't like really go to an effort to make sure they're using sustainable materials or reducing water or anything like that. And they also don't seem to have, they take some efforts for labor standards, but not enough in the estimation of good on you. So they're not like superstar companies. Isle wasn't in the rating, uh, the Vancouver based company, but their website suggests to me that they may be a lot better. They did a thing where they listed all of their ingredients, um, like what goes into a period underwear and also like this thing has organic certification. This is what this thing is. I really liked the transparency of that. It's always a good sign. And they also um, tell you exactly where their products are made, you know, where the factories are, what the conditions are like there. So if you are able to get period underwear from aisle, that might be a good ethical choice. I can't speak to the quality because I tried a different company, but they impressed me. <laughs> oh, I'll I'll try them. I, I'm willing to give it a go. That's great then. The only other thing I had was uh, don't put sea sponges in your snatch, but we did talk about that already. So, <laughs> Oh yeah, I was like so eager to talk about that. I was like, I'd never heard of it before. So for <laughs> anyone who's curious, a menstrual sponge is a sea sponge, which is an aquatic organism made of a substance called sponge. Spongin? Sea sponges are living organisms that attach to underwater surfaces and continuously filter water, seawater to support their organic functions. So they're like things from coral reefs, I think. Like they're, it's a weird, it's a weird fad. And they're often full of sand and grit and bacteria. So I don't know how it became such a popular thing when there's so many other amazing products you could use. Is it a popular thing though? Because I had never heard of it until we researched it. <laughs> yeah, but I guess it's a thing because like it came up a lot when I was reading. Yeah, it is a thing for sure. Yeah. <laughs> So I know we talked about sanitary napkins a bit. So those are reusable pads. That's another thing that people could use that is a little bit more accessible, especially if, you know, if you have a physical reason that you can't necessarily use like a cup. Everybody has a different story. Lots of different products out there that are reusable. Pretty much everybody is accounted for with all of the different reusable options. Fabulous. Well, I think uh, that we were like, oh, this will be a short episode, but no, we were both very excited to Never talk is. about blood. 
I think that's it. <laughs> yeah, I have a call to action, actually. Um, so, I mean, one call to action is like try a reusable period product. But the one that I had in addition to that is um, you can support a nonprofit called Moontime Sisters. If you're in Canada, that's where they operate. But I'm sure there are similar organizations in other places. And so Moontime Sisters, basically, they um, they help to increase access to menstrual products for people in northern and remote regions. So um, it can be really pricey to get menstrual products up to northern communities, especially when you can only like when you have to basically fly everything in. So uh, really important organization and uh, you can give them their, your support. I like that. That's really cool. Thanks for that one. Great. Well, I hope everybody is feeling more positively towards menstruation by the end of this episode. We tried to be careful with gendered language. I know we slipped up a few times. It's an ongoing process for us too. So please be kind and uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll continue to work on that too. So yeah, no turfs on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, folks, and we'll catch you on the next episode. I definitely went swimming with pads in before I learned how to use tampons. So like, oh, no. <laughs> I have been that person. There's like, uh, I don't know if you've watched the show Big Mouth, but um, there's an episode in the latest season where one of the young girls gets her period and she goes swimming with a pad and the pad absorbs the lake that they swim in. And I was like, that is a real fear. That is like legit, like the anxiety that you have, like everyone's going to see this bloated pad. Like, so you're like, you just don't do it. Or you learn how to use a tampon in a day. Good work, Kristen. It was super fast. <laughs> I feel like that explains a lot of your character. <laughs> Gotta figure this out. Go from zero to 10. Let's do it. <laughs>